Kia ora and welcome to Beyond Consultation, a podcast that will help you in your public or community sector work to increase your impact by doing more than just ticking the box of consultation. I'm Paul McGregor from Business Lab, and we're interested in the mindsets and methods of people who are making a bigger impact by working collaboratively with communities, industries, and other organizations. Ma mihi mote Kia and welcome back to episode 20, which feels like a big milestone to me, so that's exciting. And I love it when people get in touch and let me know that they've been listening and valuing the show, so big shout out this week to Danelle Manihera, she flicked me a message on LinkedIn which I got just after I'd come back from two weeks of parental leave. So pretty stoked to welcome a happy, healthy new baby boy into the world. Just before I went on parental leave, something arrived in the mail for me, which was a book called For the Love of Community Engagement. And the book sat on my bedside table for those two weeks of parental leave, staring up at me, and I thought, no, I don't want to read that. It just seems a little bit too much like work, and I really wanted to turn my brain off for that time. But then, in the last two nights, I was looking ahead and going, I better prepare for this interview, and actually I spent through the book. It was such an enjoyable read because it's just full of stories. And Becky has this rich pool of stories to pull from. She's worked in local government, small community organizations, for healthcare organizations, and now she's a consultant. In the book, she talks about how she likes going from one project to the next. So she's been involved in a lot, but she's also been involved in trying to push the profession to the next level. She was part of founding Engage to Act, which started out as a bunch of interested people having a cup of coffee and turned into a movement of people trying to push community engagement to the next level. That led to the founding of Global Community Engagement Day, which is 28th of January. She pulls all of that experience into the book, and it's a call to action. To all of us who are involved in working with communities, to be braver, to be more creative. And I think she's captured really nicely this movement to, people call it all sorts of things, you know, authentic engagement, public participation, community-led participation, there's all sorts of jargon, but she's painted really richly what that looks like and feels like. So this is the book that you give somebody who's just starting out on their career path of community engagement, you know, to show them what they're going to be up against, with the joys, the challenges. But it's also the book that you might give somebody who's a bit later on in their career and they are disillusioned with their work in communities. They're frustrated with democracy and government and civic life and they're thinking, ugh, there's got to be a better way. There are 20 chapters in the book, and so what we did was I got a random number generator and we used that a couple of times. We spun the magic wheel and that sent us off to a different part of the book to spark our conversation. So it was a lot of fun reading the book and recording the episodes, so I'm sure that's going to come through when you're listening. So please welcome to the show, Becky Hurst. (laughs) 
I'd love you to start by sharing a bit of your story of how you first got into community engagement. You know, I started with chapter one and your story around the new labor and getting the VHS. And can you share how you kind of got into this sort of work? Because it's not something that people grow up and go, I want to be a lawyer or a doctor or a community engagement professional. I think there's probably a whole book in itself, isn't there, about how did we all end up doing community <laughs> engagement? And I would imagine the different paths that people have taken particularly at people at our point in their career, you know, we've got a career behind us. How do we get into yeah. it? So my story is in the book and it is about that year, 1997. I was at university. I was studying contemporary dance in the North of England. <laughs> and I remember the new Labour Party in the UK sent this video out. To, I don't know who they, it must've been to every student in the UK or something, uh, trying to get that younger demographic. It was probably the yeah. first time I was voting in an election. Right. And I just remember putting this video in and it was cheesy at the time. And you can find it on YouTube now. In fact, the reference is in my oh, really? end notes. It's, it's Tony Blair and all of his kind of gang kind of looking <laughs> cool to this. This things can only get better. I was like, well, what does this mean? I don't get it. Why aren't things okay as they are? And I remember that really being my first sort of interest in society in that kind of more mature way. I mean, I was always interested yeah. growing up in what was going on around but not in an intense way so I remember that video and that is quite a few people have contacted me about that and that song mm -hmm. things can only get better I'm learning quite a lot from people about their experiences at that time and and their stories about that song and their connection so that happened and then that parked in my mind almost and then I sort of just got on with my degree my final year of university I specialized in community dance so I had a lecturer that sort of introduced this concept of community and I really liked this. She gave us this article that talked about communities of place or communities of interest or communities of convenience. And I just, it really resonated with me. I really liked it. And so I specialized in community dance and community arts in my third year. And I did quite a lot of work with local schools and local community groups in using dance or movement as a way to express different feelings or emotions. And mm. I really enjoyed that work. But when I was graduating and I was 21, and I needed to work out what to do. What am I going to be when I grow up? But I'm still asking that. I had to think about, right, what am I going to do? I actually didn't want to dance anymore. I actually, believe it or not, at 21, felt old. And my body was aching. And the world of dance is very competitive. And I was good, but I, I wasn't exceptional. I was okay. But mm. I basically decided to go to this community side of things. So I dropped the dance and I applied for a job, which was now Tony Blair was in. The new Labour had got in. Everybody had voted for them because they obviously loved the song and the VHS video. And I decided to pursue this career. And there was some jobs around. And I got a job called a community involvement officer. It actually wasn't government funded. It was funded by the, the National Lottery in the UK, which was also quite new at the time. But it was all about everything in the UK at that point in time was about social inclusion and getting communities right. active and involved in being proud of where they live and making decisions. And yeah, that's where it all started mm. in 1999 in a little place called Matson in my near my hometown of Gloucester. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and it that. evolved from there. I love that story and you know the randomness of when you're born and where you're born and how that influences what happens in your life. If you'd been born two years earlier, you would have yep. come out of university and it would have been Margaret Thatcher's government and completely different. And you might not be Absolutely. who you are and where you are today. Absolutely. And I found this writing the book, obviously, I questioned that. What influence did this have on me? And as I also say in the book, I'm politically neutral. I don't kind of go for either side. We have to kind of stay politically neutral in the work that we do. 
but it's just fascinating that this kind of era of labor and particularly this concept of new labor in the UK did have such an impact at that time. And I know my colleagues I worked with in London and when we catch up, we most recently reflected on how we've all ended up in this kind of community world because of those late 1990s years in the UK. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. something else that I found interesting in your book, what you're kind of touching on now is like the different paths that people have into community engagement. So mm. some are like you, quite a sort of grassroots mm. community, you know, you mm. see things around you and that, that ends up becoming a career. And then others are sort of more like a corporate or marketing or comms mm. background. And then they see how yep. that could be used in a different way. But how do you see those sort of two threads of community engagement fitting together or not fitting together? Or... I think uh, a couple of years ago, and I think this is mentioned in the book, someone said to me, there are factions in the world of community engagement. Yeah, and yeah. there actually are, and I think the faction sounds negative. Let's not say factions. Let's say there are different approaches to community yeah. engagement. And I think that's probably reflected by our different backgrounds, by the different sectors that have to do community engagement. So I think that there are different angles that we come at it from. And I guess me writing this book has been very much about, this is like me swinging a big punch <laughs> from the side <laughs> of kind of grassroots, bottom-up, community-led mm. decision-making, which I felt was kind of missing in the marketplace. I, I felt somebody needed to sort of raise this. Why do you think there's such a gap? What was it that um, was getting you impassioned to write a, a book this, about that? Well, this is a relatively new sector. Certainly here in Australia, there has been some massive progress made over the last decade. It's huge. Community engagement has just really taken off. It's an entire industry. You know, every council has a community engagement officer. Every state government department has a community engagement policy. And they didn't have them 10 mm. years ago, 15 years ago. So there has been this massive boom. And I think we've kind of all just clung on to something <laughs> and we've kind of all gone, right, community engagement, this is what it is. And we've all kind of written our procedures and we're going to follow those procedures. And this has not been a bad thing necessarily. I'm not saying it's, mm. it's at all bad, but what I'm saying is we've now got to this point where we've all kind of clung on to certain approaches, certain styles. And now we're mature enough as a sector yeah. to say, if we keep heading in this direction, is this what we want? Is this the right way to be engaging communities? Um, or is there a different way? And because I've always felt a little bit different in the marketplace, in Australia particularly, this book was partly a kind of cathartic process for me of writing down, why am I different? Why do I get so passionate about these things? Why do I yeah. cry at stuff when people aren't heard? Why do I get mm -hmm. so emotional? And, you know, it was really about unpacking those stories through my career and trying yeah. to sort of work out what it was. And I was really thrilled, obviously, that it came into these 20 chapters and <laughs> it was all kind of played around with a bit. I think there were 19 at one point. I was like, oh, I can't have 19, yeah, yeah. I've got to have 20. <laughs> but it, it feels like a really good sort of therapeutic process that I've mm. been through in unpacking some of that stuff. Hmm. I was saying kind of before we recorded, I wasn't expecting to enjoy the book as much as I did. Like I thought I'd like it, you know, it's for the love of community <laughs> engagement. I mean, of course I'm going to be interested in that book, but I didn't expect to love the book the way that I have. And I think the reason I loved it is because of the stories that you share in there. It's and, so good. So good to I, hear that. And I think often I see on social media and at conferences, this sort of really shiny, perfect mm -hmm story mm. of community engagement and mm. you mentioned somewhere in there the book about 
awards ceremonies and there's these beautiful <laughs> videos of this community engagement process and it just looks so well coordinated and easy and then my own experiences as a community member and as a practitioner are completely yeah. different it's so messy and yeah often the, the messiness is where the real goodness happens and I guess one of my big frustrations as a facilitator of a community engagement process is I see the magic happening in the room and yep. you feel it yeah and you get those goosebumps and yep. then you try to communicate that back out to people who weren't there and it's really hard to communicate that back out yeah, yeah. thank you as I was saying to you earlier I'm so thrilled that this has got kind of global interest the same is yeah. happening with people in the US is that somebody from the UK obviously and Australia and now you're saying it's resonating for you in New Zealand and even got somebody from India I spoke to the other day who's reading it and loving it and I just mm. think like wow this is the sort of this is happening everywhere around the world and mm. as community engagement people we're the same everywhere and we've all got this same passion and it's really about sort of opening up the conversations just mm. like we're doing now. Yeah the core of what you seem to be touching on is that relationship between people with power like delegated mm. power so often that's government right and then people who yeah. want more power in their community yeah. and yeah. so then as community engagement professionals we're kind of in the middle we're absolutely the bridge, the you even touched there. on it there and it's in the book about you're in that space working with that community you're getting the goosebumps you're getting the emotion you're seeing how a community is working together it's just amazing it's magical but often that typical ultimate decision maker, a minister or a project manager isn't in the room. And then mm. you have to write up the report, which of course we do and we do it well, but it's not the same as that mm. person being in amongst that kind of grit of that conversation. And I, and I talk about the politicians on pedestals as a thing that, you know, they kind of mm. come in. And again, these are just my stories of what I've witnessed, but mm. they come in, they deliver their speech, they get their photo in front of the banner and the speech has often been written by somebody else. Mm. They get the photo in front of the banner, maybe sit at a table for a few minutes, get a photo of them chatting to some people and then they leave. And I'm heartbroken when this happens because I know that literally this happened recently and it was just an hour workshop and we had magical stuff happen in that hour. And mm. I thought, what a shame that that politician only came to the very start. And, and as again, they say in the book, I'm fed up of people making excuses for them. that Oh, they're very busy people. Like, yeah, but they're here to kind of serve the people and listen to the people and make decisions on behalf of the people. And so they should really give the people the decency of staying and listening or coming at the very end so that yeah. the people can tell them what they've been talking about, not for the photo shoot at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. I get pretty passionate about this. You'll have to stop <laughs> me as we go. <laughs> no, no, this is good. This is what it's all about. One of my challenges actually with this interview, Becky, is there's so many things I want to talk to you about. So well, what I mentioned to you beforehand is I'm going to try a bit of an experiment here, which is my random number generator. So when I when we hit a pause in the conversation, I'm going to spin it. It's going to land on a number pauses. from one to twenty. Okay. Okay. It's right. Point us to this chapter. I love so. it. It's like the game of community <laughs> engagement. Right. <laughs> now you have that. to remember you're on a podcast here. So he's now holding up the the dial. It's spinning. It's number ten. We've got number ten, which is use oh, engagement yeah. to strengthen communities or oh, you sound like you're excited about that chapter well so. i get excited about every chapter <laughs> 10 yes i love this game by the way this is a great way to do it so use engagement to strengthen communities in a nutshell this is about how i see when i go into a community and do a piece of engagement you often see that the people in that process start connecting with each other 
And, you know, like there's a man that says, oh, there's a late, like, I'll, I'll give you the exact example from the book. There's a lady that says she w- really wants to start up a community garden and doesn't know where to start. And then a man from the other side of the room goes, well, I've got a patch of land and I was thinking of doing a community garden and perhaps we should connect. And I'm like, yes, it's like a soft outcome, if you like, of the process. It's like an mm-hmm. additional bonus outcome because you're there to consult on something like a strategic plan, which is what I was yeah. doing there. But you end up building these connections. And this made me think that, and I've always thought, we shouldn't just be going into a community, doing our piece of engagement, getting what we want from it, and then walking away again. But we should actually be using these as opportunities to connect people, to strengthen those communities, to connect people together, get them working on other stuff. You know, that Mm -hmm. really is an added bonus, but it should probably be one of the main things that the main outputs of our Mm. engagement processes is strengthening them yeah Mm. i was recently trying to make sense of this concept myself and sort of drawing it as a loop so you know you do your engagement process and that yeah increases the community's ability to take ownership of the things they care about which makes it easier the next time you come to engage the community and so on and it's kind of a nice self-fulfilling cycle in theory exactly exactly and in theory and and everything I've put in the book is not a short-term quick fix or there's a few quick Mm. fixes but these are some of these things are kind of quite long-term it's going to take a couple of decades Mm. and it's handy that I've hopefully got a couple of decades left (laughs) in my career but we it's it's going to take a long time to really get organizations kind of flipping Mm. the way that they do engagement and this is something that we can be thinking about in the short term when we're going into a community what can we do to support that community to strengthen it as we mm. do our engagement let's not just use people and then say thank you very much off you go let's really make a rich process yeah and you talk about this as going these sorts of changes are going to take decades also <laughs> you know it's frustrating when you're in the middle of that and you're impatient and you know you yep. read a book like for the love of community engagement and you go oh, i can <laughs> see this better way of having these relationships between our organization and our community yeah and then there's kind of these structural barriers in place or these cultural barriers in place of you know this yeah. is how we do things around here yeah what are your thoughts my parents actually read the book for me I got them on the proofreading team I had about yeah, five proofreaders and even then you still get mistakes appear in it when my mum read it she loved it of course and she did say she one section she was like this is a bit utopian isn't it you know it's almost like a bit carried away here Becky <laughs> and I think that's actually true in some parts of it some stuff that I talk about say around you know the public initiated participation or organizations Mm. not being organization centric but being citizen centric some of the things I suggest are quite out there they're quite radically different to the way it is now and I said yes they are utopian they are kind of dreamy stuff but we've got to set our goals Mm. and we've got to you know know where we want to be and if that is a bit far-fetched at least it's a direction that we want to go in. And at least we've had that conversation as a, as a sector and said, yeah, actually, we want to do more of this citizen-centric stuff, public-initiated mm. participation, people-led processes rather than policy and procedure-led processes. Mm. So, yeah, it is all huge stuff. Yeah. I mean, you, you call it far-fetched, but we're working, one of our council clients at the moment, I was looking back at some of their documents and planning they've done around engagement and they're using that very language. We want to be a citizen centric. Yeah. So they have got this big vision and then yeah, sort of there's baby steps to get there, I guess. Exactly. You know, we have to, again, look at where we've got to in the last couple of decades 
and, and you know, I remember doing years ago, I did a, a Google search kind of thing around terms, public participation and community engagement mm-hmm. consultation. And there were massive spikes in the trend of the, the search terms, yeah. massive spikes in around like mid 2000. So about 2004, 2005 off the top of my head, yeah. it really just started to be of interest to people. And then as a sector, you know, there's so much training around, there's so many consultants around, there's mm-hmm. so many policies and frameworks like we really mm-hmm. have done a good job in the last I'd say probably 15 <laughs> years I reckon we've really moved forward with great gusto mm-hmm. but yeah now it's like right what now for the next 10 to 20 years plus can we yeah. unpack that citizen centered people centered engagement mm-hmm. it sounds great and you've got some fantastic mm-hmm. stories in the book of where you have said, hmm, stuff it. I'm actually just going to lead some of those, facilitate some <laughs> of those processes, not as a paid thing. I can see there's yep. a need in my own community. Can you share yep. some of the stories around that? Well, the one, I mean, there's a few examples, aren't there, in the book. The one that just sprang to mind was working with John Baxter. He's talked about mm. in the book. I was in Adelaide. I've been here for a few years. I was in a sort of networking mode. I came across John, who was very much a grassroots go where the energy is kind of person bottom up we had some really deep conversations I remember at the time and he said there's a lot of opportunity for people to get involved in stuff at the moment he was observing he said but there's not many opportunities where people can come together and sort of put forward their agenda and so he led the creation of this event called co-create Adelaide which I got involved with and facilitated using open space technology and and if you've ever used or been to open space technology it's just a fantastic tool where there's no agenda and the people turn up and they set the agenda and it literally was a massively open agenda simply the event was called co-create Adelaide and the question would have been something like you know what do you want to do to make Adelaide a better place yeah. And it attracted all these people who paid to come, $10 each, and then paid for their lunch. But they participated with this great enthusiasm and came up with all these brilliant ideas and connected with each other. And just seeing that kind of magic that the community, you know, the community, who are they? The, the mm. people that came, they just had so many brilliant ideas and willingness to work together that it made me feel a bit sad when I then looked at the sort of traditional way that government engages which is where Mm. government has decided they're going to be doing something for whatever reason and then they go out with a very specific kind of consultation plan and it's so it's restrictive you know and it it doesn't kind of get people's creative juices going and so there's so much opportunity within communities I believe we often talk about communities or the general public as if they're not intelligent or (laughs) haven't got ideas when actually they have and so public initiated participation that's just one story there's other more specific ones about when I developed up that model it's really about providing those opportunities for residents of a council area or Mm. people who live in a particular state to put forward suggestions and ideas and that they Mm. actually get acted on or listened to so again it's huge huge concept but we can be doing things that, that really get that conversation happening in communities that's led by communities and yeah. not by politicians or government or political donors or whoever. <laughs> mm, mm. It excites me to hear that story because I can see the need in my own community where yep. there's opportunities to engage with decision makers and resource holders, but it's very much on their terms rather than Absolutely. sort of generally open question here. How can we make this a better place? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah mm. that's exactly it. You know, my council is currently engaging on, I don't know what, 
I don't know what, to be honest. And <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is that they're wanting to talk about, yet there's mm. probably a list of about 10 things that I'd be quite keen to talk about. And that scares them as a council. My poor council, they get the brunt of it. But, you know, this is the same for any council wherever yeah. I live. It, it overwhelms them, the idea mm. of opening up the conversation with residents to say, okay, what do you want to talk about? Because they're just like, well, we'll just be inundated with stuff. And I'm like, yes, mm. that's what we want. We want people getting passionate and giving their mm. ideas. So, yeah. I think it's partly that comes as well from previous situations where council officials or, or government officials have been burned and they've had these bad situations happen in the past. Like, yeah. Is that where that comes from, do you think? What are they worried about? Oh, the psyche of the politicians. Uh, what are people worried about? People aren't used to, I, I used to think that everybody was like me and that everybody got this whole concept of listening to people and getting the right people at the table. If you're going to be doing something about that, you need the people that are going to be affected by it together to make a decision and, you know, to work together. And I used to think that that was just, everybody knew that, but it turns mm. out not everybody does. And mm. so I think often people will get into positions of power, as we call it, <laughs> and it mm. is, they, they don't have these skills. They don't know how to deeply listen or respect other people's opinions necessarily or how to take on board a multitude of different opinions and weigh them up and come mm. up with a good decision it's a skill that we need to kind of teach people or be willing to learn so I think there are people in these positions of power that are trying mm. I can see some glimmers of hope but there does seem to be something that happens and again, it's a whole other conversation about <laughs> politics and why politicians make particular decisions. Yeah. That why aren't they those decisions based on the needs of a community? I don't really know the answer. <laughs> mm. well, well, we'll keep pondering that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Do your dial again. Do your dial. Do your dial. We covered about... We covered something chapters that was too there, hard, so here we go. Now we're spinning again. Let's, I hope it comes up with a really different one. I've got to open up my book. Number 18. Oh, oh, right. Uh, good. Be bold and brave in pushing new frontiers in community engagement. Mm. What do you yeah. even by new frontiers? What do you think are the new frontiers? Oh, well, this, this, you doing the podcast. A lot of what's in this chapter is about my journey with Engage to Act mm. and leading the sector and kind of stepping up to be that voice, if you like, for the sector and to ask all the kind of challenging questions and <laughs> you write books that kind of question everything. So this is me saying, you know, it doesn't say it directly, but this is me saying I can do this book, you can do this podcast, but we need everybody to step up and to be bold and brave and to mm. try different things and to have conversations with their peers you know, to network together and to not just accept business as usual, but to try different things, introduce new concepts. The story about myself and Andrew Coulson, when Andrew suggested, why don't we have a day for community <laughs> engagement practitioners? And why don't we call it Global Community Engagement Day? <laughs> and I was just, and the rest of the board at the time, and I was just like, yeah, let's do it. What do we need to do? And we're like, oh, we just need to pick a date. And then we need to call it Global Community <laughs> Engagement Day. And then the genius was when Andrew registered it as a global, like there's a website called daysoftheyear.com. And he got it registered on there. And we chose it as Wendy Sakissian's birthday. There was a whole process behind it. But, you know, that's being bold and brave and mm. just saying, do you know what we need? We need a global community engagement day. So let's do it. So I think when people, all of us working in the sector, when we're saying something missing, 
Like, mm. let's be bold and brave and just do it. Let's get mm. it happening. So for me, one of the things I would love to see more of is more commentary in the media, the mainstream media about community engagement practices. So we often see mm. newspaper articles about poor consultation. The articles will often be, there was a poor consultation process and the residents were angry. Meeting, uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I would love every community engagement practitioner listening to this, and it's mm. a daring thing to do, but I'd love them all to be the person that the local newspaper calls up to get the expert comment on. So, mm. you know, it's, oh, and now um, mm. such and such from such and such, who's an expert in community engagement says, yes, this does sound like it's a poor process. And what we perhaps mm. would have rather seen is this, this and this. I'd really like to see us all kind of stepping up to claim mm. it, to own it as a profession and as an area of expertise. So, yeah, this chapter is very much about my journey with Engage to Act, but really I just did it. I just got on with it and made mm. it happen. And the energy was there and it kind of snowballed into something quite big which I then pulled right back on because it was taking up too much time and I wasn't getting paid for anything and I've got a mortgage mm. to pay. Mm. So, yeah, you know, I just, I want to see the energy from the sector. And I guess I ask everyone listening to your podcast, everyone that's reading the book, to think about their own way that they can step up in the sector to kind of raise our profile as a profession. Mm. That's a that's a pretty bold challenge and I like it. But you're doing it already. Don't worry. You're fine. You've got your podcast. I mean, that's just doing it. Yeah, it is. I guess also I find it hard personally when I see a community engagement process that has been, you know, someone called one a year or two ago, an insultation process. Oh yeah. They felt like they were, being, they were being insulted by the process and that everybody knew the decision had already been made. That was how the process yeah. felt. And yeah. it's hard to know what are my sort of professional boundaries to call out poor practice. So that's, that's, and that's again, in another chapter, see what we're doing here. We're going across all the chapters. Oh, wow. I talk about, I can't remember what it's called. It's the one about why the position that we're in. Let me find the chapter. Understand your motives. Is that what it is? Understand community engagement in the context of your own motives. Yes, yes, yes. That's the one. Which number is that? I can't, oh, there it is. Number 14. <laughs> Understand community engagement in the context of your own motives is a really mm. important one because yes, if you're working for a council or uh, a consultancy and you want to shout from the rooftops that somebody else has done bad consultation and that's going to be a really hard position to be in I talk about in that chapter you know I'm I've chosen to be a sole practitioner I've mm. chosen to remain independent and nimble I'm able to create a team if I need to if I'm working mm. on a big piece of work but most of the time I work on smaller pieces of work so I'm in a position and I'm also pretty gutsy so I'm willing to call things out if they're bad but mm. I obviously have to be really, really careful. And there's, again, a story in the book. I can't name clients. Mm. Sometimes I do decline. I have been approached by media to comment on things that mm. I've been involved in. And I decline because I've got that client mm. relationship that I've got to think about. So you're absolutely right. And what we don't want to be doing is suddenly all kind of turning on each other mm. <laughs> mm. and criticizing Because you often processes. don't know the circumstances behind it so you know I mean we had a client project this week where we got the call last week yeah. to facilitate something this week you know the agenda had been set all the kind of pre-work had been done so yeah you know, someone might have called us out and said oh you know they could have done a better job on that but actually there's all yeah. these other circumstances going on around it absolutely yeah. so let's kind of rewind <laughs> back to the bit where I said mm. commenting in the media set that slightly aside that's about raising the profile that's not about mm. bitching about other other people's yeah. work and we and we never do that because you know we're all in this together and you know I've written a book and I'm all like oh we need to do it this way that way that way 
but I'm not perfect by any means. And writing the book, I'm like, you're struggling to come up with one example of really good engagement, you know, that is like, that is without its faults because every single piece of work that I get involved with, there'll be disappointments or Mm. there'll be things that get scrubbed out at the last minute or Mm. it won't go how I think it should go. So nobody is perfect and we are all just trying our best my mum always says that we're all just trying our best so we don't want to turn on each other by any means but what we need to be doing is thinking about how we can elevate our practice to demonstrate that we are there are experts in this field Mm. and often those bad processes are where the experts aren't involved often it's a bit of a shoddy process that you Mm. know the stuff that ends up in the media but Mm. equally I could end up on the front page tomorrow on a you know piece (laughs) of bad engagement might happen you know yeah something i i wanted to learn more from you in the book you talk about the emotional weight or baggage Mm -hmm. that can kind of come along with a community engagement process where you you might Mm. uncover some pretty heavy stuff and you're sort of there that you're that in between um, person how do you personally handle that emotional weight therapy <laughs> <laughs> no not quite that but it's close you know again writing the book is a cathartic process we all have to process our stuff we all have to deal with our own energies and how we manage that kind of work-life balance I'm getting better at it because the older I get the more I'm just I can shrug stuff off a bit more but even then, I mean, even just yesterday in Australia, we, Melbourne's just gone into lockdown again. And I started getting all kind of annoyed and angry about things and thinking, oh, I need to do so. I need to do this. I need to do that. And I'm like, no, Becky, you can't change the world. Like you have to just stay focused on what you can change, what you can do. And all we can do is chip away at these little things. So the older I'm getting, the better I am at that balance of the emotion side of things. But that's not to say it just still gets to me really really does get to me you know and I am sometimes close to tears with people who are just feeling Mm. so frustrated that they haven't felt heard and you know and occasionally you see glimmers of something I just saw in the news a couple of weeks ago we just had some like I know anybody in the environment sector listening please disregard my terrible I know nothing about the technical term (laughs) like the burning that the bushfire prevention here in Australia Mm. the aboriginal people the traditional Mm. owners of this land know how to deal with fire and they've got a particular way that they do it and we've of course come in and gone oh no we know how to we need we'll deal with fire blah blah anyway probably about a year ago maybe even two years ago I remember being in a meeting with some Ghana people which is the the traditional um, owners of the Adelaide region and these Ghana people again we were all almost in tears because they were just saying we just want we need to start with fire we want to teach you the white fellas how we deal with fire and they were just so frustrated. And I, of course, I was there with my butcher's paper, writing it all down and whatever, and, you know, taking notes. And I was trying my hardest to say, I hear you. I get you. If it was up to me, mm. I'd just get out and do it. Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, I saw there was this massive ceremony happened in the Adelaide Parklands with the Ghana people and with fire. And I just felt so brilliant. And I have no idea if the two were connected, mm. but it kind of, it, so something went off in my brain I was like yes this is related to that conversation I had a few years Mm. ago and where I felt that emotion and that was a lesson for me that maybe you know at the time 
things I feel like I'm not making a difference or yeah. people aren't being heard but then you know maybe somebody is going to hear eventually and and change will happen and that was a really significant moment in the Adelaide Parklands and I saw some photos and some of the people who were in my meeting were at that event and hmm. so I hope I hope that they felt like wow this is brilliant it was significant mm. so yeah Mm, I've right, had... dial your number again because i reckon we're, we're kind of going <laughs> hey, to okay. do here we're going <laughs> to right. do the whole book i reckon uh, all right we're spinning number eight go where the people are oh mm. yeah so go where the people are i mean this is i i always also sort of team this with go where the energy is so the, again this is kind of woven throughout the book the go where the people are can, can i just jump in and say like yeah that phrase seems really self-evident and really obvious to me go where the people are talk to them where they're comfortable why do you think we even need to be putting that as a chapter heading in a book about community oh, because people don't because look how often do you see or i have clients that say oh we're gonna we're gonna book a community hall you know and, and whatever time of day let's say 7 p.m on a wednesday evening and we're going to get people to come and tell us about this playground design why wouldn't we just go to the playground where the people are <laughs> or and you can use this on any example years ago when I first came to Adelaide I don't think this story is actually in the book but we were doing something about in health it was when I was at the women and children's hospital and we were doing and I do mention about the blue book which is a book that all the babies mm. get here in South Australia when they're born it's like their you know immunization and stuff yeah and we were doing a review of that and we did various things and I remember going to actually meet with some kind of parents group who better to ask than about these little books that the babies get than people who've just got them and are using them. So again, rather than kind of desperately try to think, how am I going to get these parents to come and tell mm. me about their little baby books when these parents are already getting together every yeah. week and would kind of love a guest speaker to come in and talk and listen. So yeah, you'd go where the people are. So it's again, that example of it's common sense to us because this is what we're expert at. This is what we do, but not everybody thinks the same. So it's about, it's a really practical tip. Just people mm. are already out there doing their things in communities and you can always approach them and say, would you mind if I pop in and we have a chat about mm. something? So yeah, people are everywhere. <laughs> mm. And if we go to them, it makes our life so much easier as engagement mm. practitioners because they're already there. So yeah, <laughs> it's a really obvious one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Okay, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna spin again. Yeah. Number eleven. Eleven. Oh, see, every chapter is good, isn't it? I quite like this. <laughs> so this one is give engagement the leadership kudos it deserves. So you said you like it. Why do you like this one? Out of interest. Uh, well, I'm pleased it came up because I think this is the only chapter I haven't read for some reason. Oh. I, I read the book in a completely random order. I was like, oh, I'm interested in that chapter. Oh, that one. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't read it from front. So this is about, I think this is the story. This has got the story about me working when I first got to Adelaide um, in a metropolitan council here and, and being tucked away in the marketing team <laughs> and I'd come from like this 10 years or whatever it was in the UK and all this exciting kind of groundbreaking community involvement and stuff and then I and then I ended up in this community engagement officer position and it was a great council but I was kind of tucked away I reported to the marketing and communications manager 
She reported to the manager of community services. She mm. reported to the general manager of corporate and community. And mm. she reported to the CEO, who, mm. of course, reported to the mayor. This is just one example from that chapter. Mm. There were layers and layers for me to have to even have a conversation with the CEO, let alone the mayor or the elected mm. members. And so really that whole story and that whole lesson was my pitch to say community engagement in organizations is about leadership and it needs to be exposed across the entire organization and it needs to be taken seriously that community engagement role and every council has this different but I mm. want to know that those community engagement people are in the ear of the chief executive and mm. are working alongside the mayor and the elected members they have to have a direct relationship with them yeah. and not be tucked away down the hierarchy buried with no voice now that's my personal opinion other people might I mean people might disagree with the whole book but it's, it's that leadership and then second to that kind of example of the being buried in the organization is the skills that we possess like I, I keep joking that this book contains the answer to world peace it gives a solution for world peace and I think we have to stop thinking about community engagement as just this little thing that happens this little process I actually believe it's a skill that the entire world needs at the moment. Our global leaders, now you have, a, in my opinion, a fabulous leader who seems to understand this, and I use her as an example in the book. We need leaders who can empathize and who can listen and who can connect with people. And I think that the skills that surround community engagement are those skills and mm -hmm. that we need, we just need to be seen as more than just that little piece of consultation that happens that's tacked on at the end of a project mm. I believe obviously because it's my world community engagement is bigger than that I keep saying about the world peace thing and I keep thinking you know about I'm getting again a bit utopian but I'm thinking you know a, a war breaks out you know really the solution to that that fighting is not fighting it's actually about getting the right people at the table mm. to have a conversation to get all the issues what's the dilemma what's the wicked problem here and how are we mm. going to solve it and coming mm. up with a solution i believe that that's the, issue, the solution for everything and that's community engagement mm. so we need to give ourselves that kudos and we need to raise that profile it needs that kudos mm. does that make sense uh 100 makes sense yeah and yeah. i think we're on that journey i mean you mentioned at the start about the progress that's been made in the profession yeah. over the last 10 yep. years and yeah. I think that's the kind of the last 10 years has been what is community engagement and how do we think about it? Yes. Yeah. sort of seems to be the progress yeah. that's been made. And I think the next 10 years is going to be, okay, now how does engagement get a seat at the table? And yeah. how do you embed community engagement as the normal way of doing things as part yeah. of an organization's DNA? Absolutely. And I, and I think it's good to think about that in sort of those big chunks of time yeah. and what direction. And actually, I should throw in here because Wendy Sakissian, who wrote my forward and she helped me edit the book, and she's actually the kind of the person that's taken me under her wing and is fueling this growing confidence of mine to speak mm. like I'm doing it. She helped me rewrite sections of the book to be so much more bold and confident than mm. they are now but people like wendy i don't know what it's when it says in the back of the book i can't remember what it says about wendy skissian she's i i want to say 50 years experience it might be 40 i'm sorry wendy if you're listening <laughs> but look i just want to acknowledge that i'm talking about the last 10 15 years yeah. i've seen this rapid adoption of community engagement as a mm. practice across government but there are people who have been working in this space for decades and decades mm -hmm. 
And I actually think, you know, a lot of Wendy's amazing examples come from the 1970s and the 1980s, mm. and particularly here in South Australia, you know, some great leadership and that really embrace engagement. So I just want to acknowledge that, that when I'm talking yeah. about 10 or 15 years, that's really about that recent time. But this is, yeah. and, and you know, this is a process that's been around a long time. Yeah. yeah. It's a mature sector. <laughs> <laughs> Should we dial the thing? Um, Come on, I love this game. Uh, okay, <laughs> we'll make this our last. I'm just aware of your time. I'm going to get everyone doing this to interview me. Right. Oh, oh hang on. We've had that one. No, no. Okay, that's... Yeah, no. That was 11. Let's try again. 14. 14. Oh, no, we've done that oh, one. Oh, we've done that that's one. Well, maybe we're... Come on, Spinner. Yeah, we might be getting <laughs> towards the end of... Maybe this is the end. Number one. One. Oh, well, it's is. a good place to end. Mm. Yeah, so this number one is understand community engagement within the context of society. We talked earlier at the very start about my career and where it started, but I think it's probably a nice place to end for this podcast is understanding where we're at now. And perhaps, you know, everybody just having a think about, as we think about community engagement moving forward, we need to have a look at 2021. The world is in a crazy place right Mm. now. This is going to affect the next few decades. And so we need to think about, all of the recent happenings, the global political leaders that we've got, the global pandemic, obviously, how technology is in society right now. I talk about my children and seeing my nine-year-old. Now, she's only nine years off voting. And the way she uses technology, it's like a hypercognitive brain that they're just going to grow up with technology. Mm. All of these things, this is the current context of society. And I guess it's a nice ending we start with thinking about context of society and why we've all ended up with Mm. our beliefs and our passions and why we do what we do but to now move forward yeah context of our current society and I guess you know a lot of breakdown of trust in media so much white noise out there Mm. depending on if you're on social media or even if you listen to the radio or read the newspapers the newspaper ownership across the world, all these massive things that that affect our society across the world. And how's that going to affect community engagement moving forward? I know I'm a big, deep thinker. These are big, deep questions, but Mm. I really believe it affects our work. Mm. They're important questions. And people, when if they haven't seen the book, at the end of each chapter, Becky's putting what you've called some conversation starters. I'm just going to have a look at some of the ones from the end of chapter one. Who were the political leaders during your childhood? What impacts did they make on society? And how did they affect your outlook on your life or your career? What does community engagement mean to you? Why does it interest you? What sparked that interest? Where do you see signs of distrust within your own communities? And how can we work towards building more trust? I mean, I think those are important questions that we, and they're the kind of questions we don't necessarily ask often enough to kind of look underneath the layers of why am I seeing these symptoms in my community or my organization to actually peel back the layers and go, ah, okay, these are the values that are underneath it all. So exactly those are good conversation starters aren't they yeah. it's a lovely feeling when you've written a book and you kind of just got it all out and then you huh. you publish it and then <laughs> months later people read it back to you it's like oh that sounds quite good I like that. <laughs> but yeah those, those exact conversation starters are good ones and and yeah they they impact our work and this again just links to that elevating our practice and thinking of engagement and communities being involved is so much more than us just doing surveys on mm. a particular 
pothole project you know this is huge stuff we're a huge sector and i think there's some incredibly exciting times ahead i think it's just going to be brilliant there's so many people doing so much good stuff i know you and i connected on linkedin and i, I just love linkedin for connecting with people around the world mm. and following what other people are up to it's just phenomenal it's going to be an exciting time ahead what a ride it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> well thank you becky this podcast episode has been a ride it's been a lot of fun just yeah, spinning the wheel and seeing where we're going. So obviously, if people have enjoyed what they have heard, they can buy the book. So I'll include a link to that in the show notes. And yeah, there's a couple of people that I'm going to buy it for who I'm going, yeah, you're, you're really going to enjoy the stories and the messages in it. Is there any other way for people to connect with you? Uh, oh, yeah, I'll just give you a hot tip. The book looks beautiful wrapped in a red ribbon if you're giving mm, it as a gift. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> I right. discovered that just recently. I've given it as a gift to a couple of people. But yes, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. So I'll mm. see Becky Hurst. I'm on Instagram, which you get to see a bit more of like, you know, what I eat, the sheep that live next door. I'm the original Becky Hurst and I'm on Twitter, not so much, but I do share occasional things, Becky BHC and Facebook, Becky Hurst Community Engagement on Facebook. So yeah, I'd love to connect with people. Love yeah. that more than anything. It's what I'm all about. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beyond Consultation podcast. What did you learn from the show? What should we have talked about? Who else should I interview? I would love to hear your feedback. And if you want to learn more about what you heard today, everything from the show is at www.businesslab.co.nz slash podcast. If this episode has left you with a burning question, please feel free to submit a voice message through the link on our podcast page. We can then ask that question of a guest in a future episode. Or tag me in a post on LinkedIn or Facebook and I can point you in the right direction. If you want to know when we release new episodes, make it easier for yourself and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Again, thank you for listening. Nā mihi mō te whakarongo.